What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. We do serve an amazing God, don't we? There's also another name that was an amazing woman by the name of Harriet Tubman. She was born into slavery in Dorchester County, Maryland around 1822. Isn't it strange to hear this? The family who owned her, owned her mother, hired her out and assigned her to do work, including caring for children, checking muskrat traps, field and forest work, driving oxen, plowing, hauling logs. In other words, if it needed to be done, she was assigned to do it. She suffered a traumatic head injury as a young girl, probably in the 1830s sometime. That injury caused a lifetime of seizures, headaches, and visions. She married John Tubman, who was a free black man around 1844, and became Harriet Tubman, that we now know her name by. She actually escaped from being a slave and made it to Philadelphia, and uh, traveled alone, mostly under the cover of the night, in 1849. Once she had escaped, she spent more than 10 years making secret return trips to Maryland to help her friends and family escape slavery. Each trip, obviously, was a risk to her life. Last of those rescue missions was in 1860, and then the Civil War broke out. Now, during the Civil War, she worked for the Union Army, first as a cook and nurse, and then, get this, as an armed scout and spy. In 1863, she became the first woman to lead an armed expedition in the war, liberating more than 700 slaves. I want that to soak in just a little bit to you. Because if you think about that, this was pre-women's rights. This was in the middle of the battle and war for abolition of slavery. And here this woman was actually the one that this Union Army was looking to. And they liberated more than 700 slaves in that expedition. After the Civil War, she moved to property that she had purchased in 1859 in Auburn, New York, and cared for her aging parents. She was involved in the suffrage movement, fighting not only for rights of women, but for minorities, the disabled, and the aged. Now hear this, she was unable to read or write. She was a woman. She was a slave. But she overcame every obstacle to become a notable leader. She's sometimes known as the Moses of the 1800s. Well, God has a way of raising up unlikely people, doesn't he? To accomplish goals that are impossible. When I, when I think about that whole scenario, it's just amazing to me because in a natural sense, it should have never happened. It was virtually impossible from a natural perspective for it to happen, and yet it did. We're talking about the radical ways of God these weeks, 
And I want to talk to you about somebody else that God raised up as an unlikely person. And uh, he raised him up to be more than just a shepherd boy. He was a kid keeping his dad's sheep, and it looks something like, I want to show you a picture or two here on the screen. It possibly could have even been where I'm going to show you. Let's back up the one. I want to see the ones with the, where they're outside. That's inside a cave I want to talk about. There we go. There is where we were just a few months ago in one of the shepherd fields just outside of Bethlehem. And I think we got another broad shot. Of, there we go. Of what it looks like looking across the area where David would have kept his sheep. Now go back and show us that one inside the cave. And then I think we got one more that shows the entrance of the cave. That was where at night shepherds would take their sheep. And so David would care for those sheep. And then back up to that other picture inside the cave. You see there in kind of the front of that what would be a manger. I don't know how to break this to you. But every wooden manger you've seen is a fake. Jesus was not born in a wooden manger. Actually, let me just mess with you a little bit more since we're going into Christmas season. We talk about Joseph being a carpenter. He probably was actually a stonemason. Because the truth was, everything over in that part of the world was built out of rock. So can you imagine David as a kid inside a cave or go back out to that broad picture of the outside one more time? Or out just on an open field. In those days, those housing units wouldn't have been there. It would have just been totally open field. Where he was keeping sheep for his dad. Thanks for putting those pictures up for me. So he was out keeping those sheep one day, and in the middle of just a normal day, just a kid, his world forever changed. Because Saul had been raised up as the king over Israel, but Saul had just done things totally different than what God had ordained for him to do. He hadn't listened to God. He hadn't followed the leadership that God had given him of what to do. And so you see that God decided, okay, there's going to be a different king. I'm going to raise up someone else who will honor me and will be who I want them to be. And so he went to the house of Jesse where God told him to go. And he said, he's got a boy that's going to, uh, he, he's got a boy that's going to end up being raised up as king. There was a whole parade of seven sons that came before Samuel. Any one of them, from Samuel's perspective, could have been made king because they were all sons of Jesse, and that's what God had told him. You're going to go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to raise up his son. But it's interesting what happens. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 10. We're reading from the message paraphrase. 
Jesus presented his seven sons to Samuel, or or Jesse, I'm sorry, (laughs) presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chose any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt. But he's out tending the sheep. Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in the very picture of health, bright-eyed, good-looking. God said, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brothers, standing around watching. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. Samuel left and went home to Ramah. There's some speculation, and uh, there's not clear-cut proof, but there's speculation that David didn't have the same mother the other brothers did that actually Jesse may have gotten involved with someone outside of his other relationship, and David was born out of that relationship. Whether it was that or whether he was just considered the youngest that was not anything special to his brothers, there was obviously a sense of him being alienated, ostracized, and on his own. And yet God knew what he was doing. In the middle of all of what was going on, God knew that he was out there tending his father's sheep in one of those fields like we looked at on the screen just a minute ago. And so there were the places that God comes to, and this is one of those, where he does exactly the opposite of what we think he's going to do. And I think what's so important is to remember that there are things that I call the unlikely likelihoods of God. They're not very likely, but with God, they're very likely. And here's why. Isaiah 55 verse 8 tells it this way. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's not bogged down with natural thinking. He understands it because he created man. God understands the processes that we all operate under. And yet the truth of the matter is God created us and he created us from his understanding of the supernatural. And with God, the natural always flows under the supernatural. The supernatural always supersedes the natural. Our problem is we live in a natural world and what do we tend to do? We tend to think from a natural perspective. It's a challenge for us to see things supernaturally the way God sees them because our tendency is to look at them naturally. And yet God doesn't look at it that way. This was not the beginning of God looking at David and saying, I'm going to do something unusual in this family. It went back. He had both Rahab and Ruth in his lineage. Rahab was his great-grandmother and Ruth was his grandmother. You remember who they were? Remember when the spies 
went to spy out the city of Jericho. And uh, there was the one guy named Salmon. And they went, you know, the Bible, it, it always is interesting what the Bible doesn't say. Because it doesn't always give us all the fill in the blanks. It leaves some of it for us to figure out. And the Bible doesn't really clearly explain to us why the guys, when they went to Jericho, ended up at a house of ill repute for a hotel. They didn't go to Motel 6. They went to the Rahab Red Light Inn. And Rahab had been prepared by God. She was not raised in a Christian home. She didn't have a Christian background. But she had this heart that was tender to God. And when those spies came, something happened in her heart that let her know, help them whatever the cost. And so you know the rest of the story. So she hid them that night. Let them get away from the city after they had come to spy out that city of Jericho. city of Jericho is not that many miles from Bethlehem in that same general area. We look today, and, and it's hard for us to fully fathom that a lot of what happens that we read about in the Bible happened in a 100 or 150 mile radius, and some of it happened within a 20 or 30 mile radius. The whole country of Israel is about the same size as the state of New Jersey, just to give you a little bit of perspective. The whole country. Galilee up in the northern section, Jerusalem down in the central to south, and then Judea below that, and uh, Hebron even further south. All of that is in a span that is no bigger than the state of New Jersey. So here Rahab was not that far away, but God had a plan for her. She wasn't a Jew, but Salmon liked her. And he married her. And so Rahab then gave birth to a guy by the name of Boaz. Have you ever heard of Boaz? Boaz was a little older when this young chick came into his life. And he was just doing the honorable thing because in that custom of that, that world, you had the whole family who had been in Bethlehem and Naomi, the mother-in-law, was the only one who was left of the original Israelis. The two sons, Malin and Chilion, had both died and so had their dad. And so Ruth looks at her mother-in-law when they've been over in Midian, which is just another jump over from, from where Jericho was, over into the area of what today would be in Jordan. And Ruth says, I'm not going back to my people. I married into your family. You are my family. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you stay, I'll stay. You've heard a few times that song sung at weddings or that scripture quoted. Well, it started with this whole saga of Boaz and Ruth. And so Ruth gave birth to Obed. Obed 
gave birth to Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. So David comes from this lineage of powerful women who are open to be what God wants them to be in spite of where they've come from. And the reason that gives me great courage and encouragement today is because not all of us come from what would be a perfect background or scenario in our past. Do any of you sometimes wish that you had one or two mulligans that you could take for your past and just rearrange them slightly, make it a little bit different than what it was? The truth is, God knew exactly what was happening in your life, exactly what you were going to go through, and He designed you, and He knows exactly who you are, but He somehow chooses to use people who come from what would be less than a pedigree of people that we expect to be saints. If you're a believer, you are a saint. You may not be the New Orleans variety, but you are a saint. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. I always like to do that because everybody kind of laughs a little nervous laugh when they say that. Why do we do that? Well, because the truth is that frequently we can remember the things we did sometime this week that are less than honorable or not exactly what we would think that super godly people would do. And yet, did you know that God chooses people just like you and me for His amazing works? And so here you have David. He's the youngest of these boys is not in any kind of good relationship with his brothers, is kind of forgotten about because he's left out in the field to take care of sheep. Now, I want you to think about this. In today's world, his dad might not have been considered the best parent because, after all, do you remember two of the things that had prepared him for what he was going to do in the future? He had killed both a bear and a lion that came to destroy his sheep. Now, now do you leave a nine-year-old kid out in a shepherd field with bears and lions that could come destroy the sheep or the boy? But that was just part of God's preparation for what he was going to do in him. He was the youngest and he was the least likely for the choice. When the first son had come out, it became very uh, it became very evident that it would be likely him that would be chosen. But God says to Samuel, he's not the one. And it goes through all these lines of brothers that would all seem to make sense for this would be one God would choose until it comes down and he's saying to Jesse, do you have any more? And he says, yeah, here's the little runt kid that's out keeping the sheep. Let me go get him. But the thing is that God was making a choice while he was still a little boy because God's plan was long-term, not some kind of a bridge. It's so important that you and I understand God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Because here's what happens to us, or maybe this doesn't happen to you, it just happens to me. If there's something that I think needs to be, you know what I begin to do? I begin to figure out ways to make it happen now. 
If I think there's something I'm supposed to do, I want it to happen right now. You know, I I think back sometimes the house that Grace and I live in, I walked through six months before I actually bought it and thought there was no way because it was cost more money than I could afford. Six months later, the price came down. It felt right, but the price didn't feel good, and it wasn't yet God's timing. And it's been an incredible home for us. I think sometimes we get too caught up with what we can measure in our natural understanding when God's doing something that's a far bigger purpose and that can literally be years down the road from what he's going to actually fulfill. When I think about God saying, I'm going to take you to Florida, I didn't know that it was God's long way of getting to Indiana. Because I'm telling you, I've never been more in the will of God than I am today. And at the first sense that I was not going to stay where my comfort zone had been for the first 30-something years of my life, I thought, well, okay, I can do Florida. And then God had other plans besides Florida. And here we are. It was a long-term plan. The same thing is true in what God's doing with David. The things that have happened in our lives, God is working in them. God is doing the things that he wants to do, and he is preparing us. God was looking at David, and what he saw were inward qualities that he could perfect, and he wasn't looking at the outward appearance of this just being a little kid keeping sheep, because he wasn't ready for him yet to take the assignment that he was going to appoint him to now. Why is that so important for you and I to hear? Because if I were to ask today, and you were to be honest, some of you that are online, some of you in this room, many, many years ago, God spoke things in your heart that have never come to pass. And you've either assumed that you didn't hear God, or you misheard God, Or that there's some reason why it didn't happen. With God, you need to never forget this. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. It's not over till it's over. Remember that. It's not over till it's over. God's timetable, Lazarus was dead... And the Bible says in the King James, he stinketh. That means he smelled really bad because he had been dead. But Jesus got there just in time because Jesus is more than the healer. He is the resurrection. He is life. And you and I need to realize that there's things that have been in your heart that have never happened that God still plans to resurrect. Don't despise the places that God has let you go through because you think you've never fulfilled what it was you thought you were going to do. It's not over yet. You're still fogging a mirror in the morning and God still has a plan of what he wants to accomplish. Because God, there's something about him. He has these elaborate preparations that he does.
Isaiah 41.10 makes it very clear. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I might help you. Is that what it says? It says and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I'm sure David as a kid got bored out there just practicing with a slingshot because he was bored. There was nothing else to do and he didn't have a dartboard. So he took his slingshot and he began to practice and he probably set up a can on a rock and he just started slinging that shot till he got to where he could hit that can and knock it off every time. And then he saw this rock that was about nine feet tall, and he says, I want to set it on top of that one. He had no idea what God was preparing him for. And you and I don't know the things that we've done through life that almost seem mundane, that almost seem like they're everyday exercises, that God is preparing us for what he has that's further down the road that we haven't seen yet. And so we just spend the time, and at the same time, it immediately helped him save the barren line. There's going to be stories in your life of what God does while He's taking you on a journey to what He is going to do. He's radical in how He does things. He doesn't do things in just the ordinary way. He does things in supernatural ways with what He wants to accomplish. David is appointed to be king, but his life goes through so many things. And, and he ends up for a period of time actually hanging out with the Philistines, the, the arch enemies. Remember Goliath that he killed was a Philistine? Then David ended up hanging out with Philistines during some of the years that he's waiting for God to fulfill that promise for him to be king. God's going to take you into some unlikely places. And things that you may look and say, why in the world am I even here? Don't underestimate what God has planned and what he's doing in the process and what he's accomplishing. Because now he's still running from Saul because Saul is king. But God is preparing him in that scenario to become a leader. He ended up with about 600 guys who were following him that were all kind of rogue people. I like people who are just a little bit rogue. They're just a little bit off the charts. Because God has a way of using those kind of people. Now what's so important is for us to let God develop us into a Mustang for him. Because there's a lot of rogues that end up being Mustangs that do great things for God. There are other rogues who decide to do it their way, and they become mavericks. And they may do some things for God, but they'll never reach the full potential of what they could be had they been willing to let God hone in on what he was doing. And that's exactly what God was doing with David. He was preparing him, not only for what he was doing inside of him, but for him to be a leader so that when he became a king, that he would have people who would follow him, people he could trust, people that he couldn't trust, but he still would have involved. Have you ever had somebody who became a blessing in your life and then you found out you couldn't trust them? Hurts, doesn't it? 
But for that season, God used them. And don't underestimate what God may have done through that process. Let God do His elaborate preparation for whatever it is He wants to do with you for the long haul. Because God also is working on us through His mercy. The mercy of God in you is building character. Are you glad that God didn't give you what you deserve? That he's given you his mercy? Matter of fact, the psalmist tells us his mercies are new every morning. What do you need mercy for today? He's got it. What are you going to need mercy for this week? He's got it. Whatever is coming up this year, this next year, God's mercy is going to be sufficient to get you through. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. I'm going to tell you, that's a powerful passage of Scripture that we all need to really take to heart the truth of that because that's how God wants to lead us. Saul, or rather David, had been keeping his father's sheep, killing bears and lions, (coughs) perfecting his skills with a slingshot. And then his dad one day says to him, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to go and kill a giant. No, that's not what his dad said. His dad said to him, Son, I'm going to have one of the hired help take care of the sheep for a few days because your brothers are in the king's army with Saul and they are fighting the Philistines, our enemy, and they need some extra food and supplies. And I got some DeBrand's chocolate, so I want you to take that to him too. It's in the Amplified Version. So David heads off to take supplies to his brother. But he had to have had this thought because God had been preparing his heart for a long time to be a king. What if I get there and God decided to use me to do something to defeat the enemy? And he arrives and there is this giant and, and truly, Goliath wasn't all that tall. He may have been nine feet tall at the most. But that's still pretty tall. And he was every day with this booming voice, just talking down trash talk. You ever watch Saturday Night Wrestling? Very little known fact, Goliath was a Saturday Night Wrestler before he joined the Philistine army. He knew how to trash talk. And he was just saying all these things. And here David comes up as this teenage kid. And he gets fascinated listening to him. And then he begins to think about the God he's gotten to know while he's been out taking care of his dad's sheep. And he's watched and and he's understood because he later wrote it all down in Psalm 23. He understood how keeping sheep was a constant reminder of how God was taking care of him. 
And that in the same way that he took care of those sheep, God was always looking out. He had developed this connection with God that was powerful. And he knew that God had empowered him as just a little kid to take out a bear and a lion. And he thought, this guy isn't any more deadly than they were. And he begins to think, I could do something about this. He drops off the supplies. And as he's dropping them off, I think it's very likely that Goliath was given his daily taunt to all the army of Israel. And Saul was probably the one who was the most afraid because Saul had never learned how to trust God. He had never understood the anointing of God that was on his life or to walk in the belief of the anointing even when it didn't look like it could happen. And David hears this giant and he goes to Saul and he says, I'm Jesse's son. My brothers are over there. They're in your army. Would you let me go out and face the giant? Saul was always looking for the chicken way out. He should have looked at David and said, you're just a kid. How in the world could you possibly take on a giant like this? But he said, well, I guess uh, you could do that, but you don't have armor because you, you haven't been checked in yet officially as a soldier. So i uh, tell you what I'll do. I'll let you use my armor, and you can go out and fight the giant. And David said, your armor is meaningless. The things that we look at and say, this is how to do, don't carry any real ability when we understand the ways of God. Remember, he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. David out on the backside of the desert had learned to think like God thinks. He had learned how to absorb what the ways of God were and what God would do, and it hits him. He thinks, you know what? I don't even have to get close to him. I don't need a sword. Because this slingshot that I have in my pocket, when I really wind it up and sling the stone out, it's going to be so powerful. I've watched it kill a barren lion, It's going to at least knock him out. I have nothing to fear. Remember this, God will always give you the slingshot and stones when you need them. We are in Israel. I should have showed you a picture of that today. We actually went to the riverbed where he picked up those five smooth stones. We were able to see exactly in the area where that would have happened. And he took those stones and he says, I'm ready to face this giant. And you know the rest of the story. He killed the giant and he took the giant's own sword. And this is a whole sermon in itself. He took what the giant had and turned it and used it to kill the giant. Some of the things that the enemies tried to destroy you with, God wants to put in your hands so that you can destroy what the enemy does. And all of a sudden, David goes from being the supply boy from his dad to his brothers 
to being the one who causes the Philistines. You remember the deal was that if Goliath won, that Israel would serve the Philistines. If the Israel representative won, then the Philistines would serve Israel. The minute Goliath went down, the Philistines started running because they realized all of a sudden they had lost. Everything they counted on was gone. Everything they were depending on had been taken away from them. And now David becomes the hero. Overnight, he goes from being nobody. He goes from not having any friends on his Instagram or Facebook to now being the most popular person everyone wants to be his friend. Matter of fact, so much so that as the army's coming back, the song is... Saul has killed his thousands. He's king, let's respect him. David has killed his ten thousands. And here's what's interesting. God is building this character in him of Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Because the sudden popularity doesn't cause David to lose sight. You know, he could have easily gone up to Saul that day and said, by the way, just so you know, Samuel came to my dad's house a few years ago and anointed me. The Spirit of God's been all over me ever since, and I am to take your place. In the natural, that would have seemed a logical progression, but it wasn't God's timing. It wasn't God's way of how he was going to do it. And so David was having character built to know that God has to be the one who instruments is instrumental in making whatever happen that he wants to have happen and that we don't manipulate it we don't create it we don't put it into place we let god be the one who puts it into the position he wants it to be in and so david didn't take his newfound popularity and suddenly decide i'm ready to be king he lets god do it now here's what happens he gets invited to be at saul's house He ends up marrying his daughter, and that had a whole set of issues of its own. And he began to be at Saul's house, and because David was also this great musician, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, he would soothe Saul because Saul had these times that he would lose it. He he was, in, in today's world, he would have probably been considered very bipolar. Because he would have these real manic times and then he would have these real depressed times. And in the depressed times, sometimes the music would calm him. But then it was not predictable. And David had to learn how to dodge because Saul would sometimes take his javelin and just sling it at David in the middle of that. All of this, God is building character in David because David knows in his heart that he's to be king, but he's not allowing it to be taken ahead of time. He's allowing God to unfold it in his timing, and he's giving the respect and service to Saul that Saul doesn't deserve by who he is, but he does have the position. One of the things we've lost in our culture is respect for position. We've especially lost it in American politics. And I promise this is it and then I'll go on. I don't care how you feel about Joe Biden. He's your president. 
And you need to respect the office of president regardless of how you feel about the man. And one reason the church lacks power today is we have not caught this truth that David showed us how to live. God help us to be people who let God do what He does in His timing and not move ourselves into a position God's not yet moved us into. It's what David did and God honored that. And then in the meantime, life gets complicated. Have you ever noticed that? Because you know who David's best friend becomes? Saul's son, Jonathan. He's married to his daughter. You want to talk about a dysfunctional family. This was one dysfunctional family. And of course, Michael betrayed David, but Saul became a loyal friend who literally helped David escape, or Jonathan became a loyal friend who helped David escape from what Saul was doing. And so God always has Jonathans He places in our lives. And don't ever underestimate the importance of who those people are because it's all a part of God building character in us. And then it was important for Him to receive in the timing. Further on as we look at His life, He's literally in a cave down by Engedi where two different occasions in cave he had opportunity that he could have killed Saul and it would have been seen as justified. And literally at one point, he literally cut off a piece of cloth from, Paul's, from Saul's clothes because he wanted to show, I could have killed you if I'd chosen to, but I could not do what God would have me not do because you have been anointed by God It's his choice to decide when he's done, not mine. You and I need to learn to live from that. Don't take things in our hands that we seemingly could justifiably do. It's the same thing as what we saw last week with with Paul and Silas in the jail. The natural would have seemed like the thing for them to do is get out of Dodge when those jail doors opened. But they knew God had another purpose. And David knew it wasn't yet fully God's timing. There would be years that would come that he would actually be raised up to begin to rule over Judah, but there still be a descendant of Saul's after Saul did die that initially was over the rest of Israel before David ended up moving fully into the full authority of what God had done all those years before when he was a little boy. When God had said to Samuel, this is the king, I'm going to use him. What does that mean to us in 2022 in America? I want you to think through for just a minute these thoughts. What are some unlikely likelihoods in your life? What are some things that in the natural you look and say, that shouldn't have worked, but it did? 
And it's become the natural for you. It's not something you planned. It's not a place you put yourself. But you can honestly look and say, God has protected me. God has had his hand over me. I don't think there's a person in this room or a person online that hasn't somewhere had it obvious God was working in something that seemed highly unlikely that became likely. I mean, just for the record, Grace was going online to cancel her subscription when there was an email waiting for her, and that's the reason she's sitting here today. She answered the email. An unlikely likelihood. And look where it got you, honey. (laughs) And I won't ask you to give testimony. (laughs) We need to understand there are elaborate ways that God has prepared you for where you are now and where He's getting ready to take you. Don't make light of those or think that because there have been things that have been disappointments, things that have not gone the way you thought, that you think it cannot be worked out. God has the ability to do whatever and it may just be one of the elaborate ways He's working to prepare you for what He still has that you haven't yet fulfilled. Walk into His mercies Because out of His mercy, He's building character in you. Every one of us need our character to be built. It's not going to happen in the natural. There's going to be points at which we're going to lose it. There are going to be times that we do things and we say, why was I doing that? Why did I do that sort of thing? And God in His mercy still is building character in us. And what God wants us to do is to say, God, here I am. And I'm open to the radical ways you want work in my life. What are some radical things that God has stirred in your heart and then you think, oh, that couldn't be? What is it that God's going to open up and that God's going to unfold in the days and weeks and years ahead that are because God had a plan. He's put you where you are that seems to be for one purpose, but God has a higher purpose that He's working through that for what He's going to do in what He's ordained that you are yet to do. God has things that He wants to reveal in and through every one of us. And I believe that His radical ways, that He has not just brought life bridge to this point so that we can go through routine. I believe that God wants to do some radical things in us in the days that are ahead. Can I be honest with you? In recent years, not that I haven't been being honest before now, But in recent years, there are many ways that I've gotten comfortable. And I think back through the years of this church and some of the radical ways God has used us. Probably one of the most radical ways that God has used this church was with the outreach of Cross and Dagger for a number of years. Because that didn't fit the normal mold of what a church should be. Some of you have been around long enough to remember that one Christmas season, we opened the Christmas season with music that was as well done as they do it, in my opinion, from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra on a Sunday morning with a light show at LifeBridge. We've done some pretty radical things. I don't think that we're supposed to 
do those same things again. But I've been asking God lately, what are the radical things that you may want to do in us? A few Sundays ago, we cleared this room after church a couple of Sundays ago. And we had a whole group of guys playing Nerf football in this room with all this equipment. And I remember thinking, should we do that? And then I thought about cross and dagger. And I thought, this is nothing. What does God want to do next year? In the years that are ahead of us, what are ways that God's going to open up new avenues, new thought processes, new assignments that He wants to do both in us individually and in us collectively? And are we willing to do what we're going to talk a lot about in 2023? Are we willing to go the distance with whatever God has for us? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm good It's another thing to live it out and no matter what, you hang on and you go the distance until the race is run. And I believe with all my heart, God is calling LifeBridge to go the distance. I believe God wants us to reach the next generation. There's some things that right now that are cooking that aren't ready to present So just so you know, some of the radical things are already happening in here and in here and in conversation of what I believe are some next steps that God's going to do different than what we've done in the past as LifeBridge Church. I think there's also some things God's probably stirring in Pastor Joe and Becca that I may not be ready to know yet, but it's okay because I believe God has brought them here to give leadership for that younger generation that God is going to raise up. And to those of us who are not in that younger generation, God help us to become the people who will help the younger generation accomplish everything they're needing to do and that God wants them to do and that we don't judge it through the safe eyes of our older age, but we look at the ways that God does things and we say, you know, He did some pretty radical things. Some of you are children of the 70s. Do you remember? Are you old enough to remember when the mantra was don't trust anyone over the age of 30? I remember that, and I was not over the age of 30. God help us to become a church that crosses the generations, that God can raise up Davids down in our kids' church that 30 years from now are going to give leadership and change this nation. But God's going to also raise up Ruth's and Boaz's to begin to nurture and prepare the way for what God wants to do so that we become a church that powerfully changes generations and changes our community and our world for all the things that God has in store. God help us to get to a new place with our vision for what it means to be mission-minded, what it means to be missional, to reach out in our own community. We're going to have great opportunity Christmas Eve afternoon.
for you to be involved with the mission church and for us to make a difference. Who knows if the kids that you are getting ornaments that are still out on the counter that need to be picked up today for Shambaugh. You don't know which of those kids God may be going to raise up and it may be what you're doing to bring presents in for them that God's going to use in some way to change their life. I don't know how. I don't know what it means. God does. He doesn't say to us, you figure it out. He says, you let me show you. Samuel had been following God a long time. He was the one who had been the last of the line of when priests were leading Israel. And God said to him, you're being replaced. And you're being replaced with someone that's not my choice. Because it's the will of ungodliness that's making this be raised up. But I still want you to be the one who anoints who that is. Because God already knew that Saul was going to fail and that he was going to raise up David. Now here's a cool part of David's story. If you go into Matthew chapter 1, you'll find the names Rahab and Ruth. You know why? Because they're the ancestors of Joseph. Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem because they had gone there to be taxed because Joseph was of the house of David. Hundreds of years later, David that had been out tending sheep as a kid that God anointed was still fulfilling the anointing God had placed on him because David literally was ushering in Jesus. Don't forget this. The things that God is asking you to do now are things that usher in the presence of Jesus. That we usher in His ability to do what He does in this world because God has chosen to flow through people. And so, in the radical ways of God, there are people who may just see a shepherd boy. God sees a king. Maybe people who put you down and said, you've got brothers or sisters that are more capable than you. There's other people in your neighborhood that have better resources than you do. But God has said to Samuel, that's who I want you to anoint because that's who I anointed. And if God has anointed you, the callings and giftings of God are without repentance. And He doesn't want to use someone else for what He's called you to do. You may be a shepherd boy or girl, but God sees royalty. Father, help us to see it the way you do. Help us to live it the way you do and become the people that you've called us to be. Let your glory be revealed in us and in this house. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Maybe you've come in here today or maybe you're online with us today and you don't know Jesus. You've never asked him into your heart. You've never started this journey of relationship with him. And today I want to give you opportunity to be birthed into the family of God. I want to pray a simple prayer with you. And as we pray that prayer together, Jesus is going to come into your heart. 
And I'm going to ask everybody who's in the room with me to just pray as an affirmation of those praying it for the first time. If you're there watching at home or someplace else online, right where you are right now, I want you to just repeat with me this prayer. Because in this prayer, you're going to invite Jesus to come into your heart to be your Savior and open yourself up to become his shepherd boy or shepherd girl, his child. Just simply say and pray with me, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Give me eternal life. I receive you now. Thank you for being my Savior. Amen.